Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We have uh, three, uh, three new members to our Sangha this morning. I want to welcome you all to our Sangha. Uh, and just a brief uh, introduction again to what we're doing. The Buddha awoken, waked up, to, uh, uh, to dependent origination, which states that from ignorance of four noble truths, all manner of confusion, delusion, and ongoing discontent and suffering arises. And so then he taught four noble truths. Uh, that we are to understand, and that is the truth of suffering, meaning that as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress, there's going to be discontent, there's going to be confusion. In general, the word is dukkha. Uh, that is a common human experience. The reason why the Buddha taught that as the most important truth we can understand is because human beings become very preoccupied and distracted by the things they don't like, by feelings, thoughts, things that are occurring in the world, look what's occurring in the world, um, and so he, he realized that besides the stressors that commonly occur in every human life, we exaggerate that by taking it personal. And so the second noble truth is craving for and clinging to these things that we think we need, whatever that is, and that can be any object, person, event that, we, that occurs in our life, we hope that they will help resolve our discontent and our ongoing stress and suffering. Dukkha occurs craving for and clinging to things to be different than they are, meaning ultimately me, starts creating that second aspect of stress and suffering, taking life personally. And then the Buddha taught something that is so important. He taught the nature of impermanence in the resolution of this process of, of clinging to ignorance. It's possible to end our own contributions to stress and suffering. And that is liberation, when we're no longer causing pain and distress for ourselves. Because then what occurs is simply life unfolding. And so how do we do that? The Buddha taught a, an eightfold path in order to develop a profound understanding of our own contributions to stress and suffering. And in that way, we free ourselves from ourselves, from our own ignorance. And so the eightfold path, by its nature, is a limiting path. It's a focusing path. It's a path that allows us to look at what's most important and turn away from that which is only going to continue greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. And this particular sutta speaks to that directly, how important it is to incorporate the Eightfold Path as our practice. Again, this is what the Buddha taught. And to discard anything that is not part of practice. That's the, you know, everybody that's been coming here for a while, including Devlin. And by the way, Devlin's been, we've been in conversation for a couple of years now, right? That's right. Yeah, and, and Devlin understands the practice. He's been practicing a lot with it. Um, so we are here to limit ourselves onto what reality is. Again, that is what the Eightfold Path teaches us. What it means to be a human being free of ignorance. And so think about that for a moment. Think about the things that you were trying to get out of life or the things that you didn't understand or why things are. Why, are, why is this going on in, 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 uh, in the Ukraine right now? Awful things going on. But you can trace them all back to greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. 
what arises out of ignorance of these four noble human truths. So this is the Agatuka Sutta. Uh, the subtitle is for all who reside in the Dhamma. And so we started this, this series, this structured study of the Eightfold Path with the Loka Sutta, where the Buddha from 2,600 years ago was commenting on today. He looked out on the world and he said, the world is a flame, a flame with what? A flame with the fires of passion, with taking things personal. And you can trace every human ill, every human war, every human fight, back to that initial ignorance that results in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Wanting something to be different, or wanting more or less of something. And then last week we looked at the Nagara Sutta, where the Buddha described how he got caught up in a, in, his, in a personal view of himself in relation to the world, and how he resolved that. So again, the Agantuka Sutta, for all who reside in the Dhamma. The Buddha's words. Friends, I will teach you the value of developing direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Right off the bat, again, the Buddha is pointing us in the right direction. This is direct knowledge and profound wisdom. It's not something that is given to us by merit, by enough prayers or enough bowing or enough hoping or wishing for the future to be different. We change ourselves through direct knowledge of ourselves. We change ourselves through direct knowledge and profound wisdom of the nature of our own discontent. Not somebody else's. Not what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with me in this moment? What do I need to understand to liberate myself from greed, aversion, and deluded thinking? So the Buddha says, Listen carefully. And again, the Buddha uses metaphor in very in brilliant ways. And here's one. Suppose there is a guest house where people from all directions and professions and positions take residence. That last line is important. They take residence. They, all these people from all, all over the world, different in their own way, unique in their own way, but have all taken residence. They are residing in the Dhamma. That's what the metaphor is. They've joined the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path. And the Buddha says, in the same way, anyone who cultivates and methodically practices the Noble Eightfold Path will also comprehend with direct knowledge and profound wisdom whatever phenomena are to be comprehended, again, with that direct knowledge and profound wisdom. That's an important line there, too. Whatever phenomena are to be comprehended. Immediately we see the limiting aspects of the Eightfold Path. We're not to comprehend everything that occurs. But the human mind grasps after that type of knowledge. And we get caught up in understanding things that are irrelevant to noble truths. These are four noble truths. They're noble because they relate to understanding. All the other truths in the world, and that's limitless, and the, the sky is blue, is a truth. What do we care about that? It's nice when there's a blue sky, but it doesn't relate to four noble truths. I had a fight with my spouse before I left the house today. That's a truth. Understanding that is part of the noble truth, so it doesn't happen again. It's also a truth that it occurred. Not to be ignored, but to be understood. And we understand it by focusing, by limiting ourselves to the framework of the Eightfold Path, with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Furthermore, those that are practicing the Eightfold Path, my words, they will abandon whatever phenomena are to be abandoned. Not everything. The Buddha is not pointing to nothingness or emptiness. Whatever phenomena are to be abandoned through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. 
I don't tell you what to abandon in your life. You realize it for yourself, what is no longer of any value, what is holding you back, what is creating the need for liberation. And what is that? It's your own ignorance. And again, the Buddha's not saying it. I'm not saying that all human beings are ignorant. They're naturally ignorant. They're prone to living in a stone age. Obviously, we're not. We're incredibly brilliant people, but we're too smart for our own good. We think ourselves into a hole of ignorance and we cling and maintain that because we identify with it. That's what the Buddha realized. That's what we learned last week in the Nagara Sutra. But he figured out a way out of it in a full path. Furthermore, they will experience whatever phenomena are to be experienced through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Because of the limiting factors in the framework of the Eightfold Path, we will experience whatever phenomena is to be experienced, as long as we can focus on what is most important. Jhana meditation is the foundation concentration. Furthermore, they will develop whatever phenomena are to be developed through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. And which, again, the Buddha teaches us, puts, points us in a direction, but he doesn't leave us hanging. He actually teaches us how to do what he did. He teaches us how to awaken, how to liberate ourselves. And which phenomena are to be comprehended with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? The form aggregate, this, this body. I need to understand what it means to have a human body. The feeling aggregate. Those that have taken classes before and understand I'm referring to the five clinging aggregates. So first there's this human aspect. This, I need a physical body to have a human life, don't I? There's nothing special about this. Although when I was younger, I wished it was a lot taller so I could play center field for the Yankees. You've heard me say that over and over again. That was the beginning of my discontent. I wasn't good enough for the life that I wanted to live. What I found through the Dalai is I'm, I'm more than good enough for the life I am living. And that is a profound change. That is what has brought, brought common peace and a moment-by-moment and a, and a moment poignancy, I'll put it that way, meaning to each moment of my life because of simply understanding what I don't need and what I do need. The form aggregate, the feeling aggregate, the perception aggregate. We're bringing in my thought process now. And if my thought process is rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, I'll be perceiving what is coming to this form and reacting, causing a feeling in a wrong way. If I don't understand what's occurring, how else could I interpret what's occurring in my life unless I had a framework for understanding? Unfortunately, most human beings aren't born with that framework. Even Siddhartha Gautama wasn't, but he went out and figured it out. The perception aggregate, the mental fabrication aggregate. So what is that? What's the difference between a perception aggregate and the mental fabrication aggregate? The perception aggregate is a, is a first thought the reaction to a feeling. The mental fabrication aggregate is the conclusions, the self-referential, self-centered, self-idealized construct rooted in the thought attached to the feeling, the perception. So I perceive something as less than ideal, not what I want to experience in my life, and immediately start, I start grasping after something. And that something is always conceptual. Even though it might be an actual physical object, it's conceptual because it's rooted in ignorance. It's our imagination that we're living in that. And that is why we spend most of our lives either living from the past or projected into the future and not living in this moment. 
simply because in this moment I need myself and my relation to the world to be different. And again, here is a limiting factor of the Eightfold Path, providing us with right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation to bring to this moment, to see it clearly. But it's really not seeing it clearly, it's seeing my mind and myself clearly. And so that brings us to the fifth, fifth aggregate and the consciousness aggregate. And that needs a little bit of an explanation today because we have taken consciousness, thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, and created the most pernicious and hurtful construct out of that. That as a human species, we are evolving to some grand cosmic consciousness. And everybody who, who dabbles in New Age mentality buys into that. I certainly did for many years. I thought that there was something to that. Why? Because think about that. I don't have to do anything. I don't, have to, I don't have to learn and understand why am I so discontented, why am I so disconfused, because I'm just part of this grand cosmic consciousness. And so everybody's confused and everybody's screwed up. And what does it matter then? Well, that worked for me for about 18 minutes until I realized that's nonsense. That doesn't make it. I want to understand what does it mean to be a human being? And that had no relation to being a human being. And Siddhartha understood the same thing. So we can believe these things that we cannot experience directly or we can take ourselves, bring ourselves to a limiting eightfold path and experience what it means to be a human being. And that really is the choice we have in each and every moment. From a fabricated way of looking at the world that, that can evolve or devolve into believing that I'm part of some grand consciousness or I can understand what I am. And so what am I then? When I, when I resolve all of these issues and I limit myself to who and what I am in this moment, what is it? Ram. I always pick on Ram. I just do this so I can take a break and get a drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can take a break from what I'm doing. What's left when you take away all the dross? Six property so, person. He beat you. He's yeah, a six property person. Yeah. At just a reference point to what's occurring. In this moment, we don't need anything to be different than it is. And think about the profundity of that. Think about how difficult life becomes when we want ourselves or the world to be different. And then take that thought just a little bit further. How can it be different? It's what's occurring. So the problem is not with what might occur or what has occurred. It has to do with what I'm thinking about in this moment. But because of ignorance... I'm always coloring this moment from past experiences and future expectations. I'm not here for what's occurring. And because I'm not here, what is occurring, no matter what it is, it could be a pot of gold or a war in Ukraine. But I'm not going to understand it. And the pot of gold won't be enough, and I'll be freaked out by the war in Ukraine. Or I can understand what's occurring in the world as a consequence of living in the world. Birth is, is suffering and my mind will remain at peace. And what happens in that moment? What has changed? I'll ask it this way. What has changed in the world? Nothing. And yet here I find myself at calm and at peace. A pot of gold doesn't throw me for a loop, and a crazy man prosecuting a war thousands of miles away doesn't either. David. So when you refer to a limiting eightfold path, 
that's the fabrications of wanting it to be different. Yes, exactly. Thank you. The the and and maybe I'm gonna paraphrase what you're saying and correct me if I if I'm misinterpreting it. What David is saying is the eightfold path limits our engagement with fabrications. Is that correct? Yes. And it's necessary. Why is it necessary? Because of the second noble truth, grasping after and clinging to ignorance. We want to. We don't want to change our minds. Why? Why is it so hard for me to change my mind from a mind that only causes me stress and suffering? Because I identify with it. I think it's me. All of these things that I have conditioned myself to, to believe that I need in order to be safe or happy or fulfilled or, or have a position of power in the world, they're all a fabrication. And they all cause me stress. Why? Because I need them to be me. Instead of doing what Popeye said, I am what I am. I was like <laughs> slipping that in. The Buddha continues, these five clinging aggregates, what I just mentioned, these five clinging aggregates are to be comprehended. Why am I stopping there? Because they're not to be hated. They're not to recognize these aspects of ourselves that aren't working or that we might be stupid for, for indulging in. No. Because that's aversion, isn't it? It's self-loathing. It's where we go automatically when we think we have to change. We think first we have to find out what we're doing wrong, beat ourselves up for a couple of weeks or a couple of years or a couple of lifetimes if that's possible, and then we might change. Through additional suffering, we might change. It's crazy, isn't it? But the Buddha says, don't do that. Treat yourself gently. Just comprehend what you're doing to yourself in this moment. These five aggregates, the ongoing personal experience of suffering, is to be comprehended with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. How do we do it? And which phenomena are to be abandoned? We do it with the Eightfold Path. Rhetorical question. And which phenomena are to be abandoned with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? Ignorance and craving for further becoming. Further becoming, further ignorant. That's what's to be abandoned. Our own ignorance. So we don't have to, to wrestle with get, get, letting go of something that is valuable, except it's our attachment to it. What is to be abandoned? Ignorance and craving for further ignorance are the phenomena to be abandoned with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. So we know what we're looking, we're dealing with. We're using an eightfold path rooted in jhana meditation to expose our own ignorance. To who? To ourselves. We're not washing our dirty laundry. We're not going into endless encounter sessions talking about the awful things that happened when we were kids or what might happen tomorrow or how to fight with my boss or there's a war in Ukraine. No. We comprehend that. And we do it ourselves in our own minds, in our own bodies. And we can only do it right here and right now with phenomena arising and passing away. Obviously, we can't resolve the past. We never could. We can't. We don't have that power to change the past. And we can have absolutely no effect on the future save for what we're thinking. And which phenomena are to be experienced with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? As opposed to, to cultivating ignorance, what is to be experienced with direct knowledge and profound wisdom is knowledge with regards to stress and release from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Those are the phenomena to be experienced with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. It's not hard. It's not complicated. 
It's not far-reaching. What phenomena are to be experienced with direct knowledge and profound wisdom, knowledge with regards to stress and release from ignorance? Does anybody here online or in this room think that we can't develop that kind of understanding? Ignorance of Four Noble Truths? Anyone? 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 Okay, you all have to do it. You better do it soon. <laughs> and which phenomena are, pe- are to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? Let me say that again because I was joking around a little bit. And which phenomena are to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? A calm mind and insight into the three marks of existence. That's the impermanence of all things, the misunderstanding of self, and the resulting delusion from that misunderstanding of self in relation to the world. A calm mind and insight into the three marks of existence are the phenomena to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. The Eightfold Path leads directly to a calm mind and profound insight. That There's a word that the, the Pali word for insight is Vipassana. Most of you that have been in modern Buddhism have heard of the Vipassana movement. Um, and I'm not, again, the only reason I'm saying that is, is to make the point that this, this Vipassana, this insight is not that. And that's not, a, that's not bad. The Vipassana movement, there's millions of people in it. It's just different. The Buddha is speaking a very specific type of insight, into, insight into these three marks. And later on this year, for the third time, I think, we'll, we're going to th- go through a structured study of just that, of Vipassana. These are to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. So how do we do it? The Buddha says, and how does anyone who cultivates any, who cultivates and methodically practices the noble eightfold path, through direct knowledge and profound wisdom, comprehend appropriate phenomena? They abandon appropriate phenomena. No, we comprehend. We put our focus on what we're to understand, and we do not get distracted by what has no bearing on four noble truths. And if it's something that we have been clinging to such as a different meditation practice or the need to bow a hundred times a day, we'd learn to let those go. If we're Dhamma practice. We don't have to let them go if we don't want to, but if you want to practice the Dhamma and develop it, you will. Comprehend appropriate phenomena, abandon appropriate phenomena, experience appropriate phenomena, and develop appropriate phenomena. Well, anyone who develops right view, this is again, how do we do that? How do we know how to practice? Anyone who develops right view, dependent on seclusion and on dispassion and on cessation of ignorance, that results in release from those wrong views. Again, I'm going to read it again because right view is, can seem very amorphous, but here it is. This is what we're developing. We're going from a wrong view of self, a misunderstanding of who I am, and because of that view, my view of the world is wrong, so my view in relation to the world is a wrong view rooted in ignorance. So it would make sense that the path would culminate in a right view. And anyone who develops right view, dependent on seclusion, jhana meditation, a disentanglement from the world, and on dispassion, not taking things personal, dispassion and cessation of ignorance, that results in release from those wrong views. So again, directly, this is what I'm doing. I have to have the courage and the willingness to examine and recognize wrong views let them go, and develop right view, framed by the Eightfold Path. Through direct knowledge and profound wisdom, they develop right intention. Again, how do we develop right view? (coughs) Through direct knowledge and profound wisdom, they develop right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, 
right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. That is dependent on seclusion, on jhana meditation, dependent on dispassion, beginning to not take things personal, dependent on cessation, that results in release from clinging to, to wrong views. All right, the focus is on our wrong views, so we have to be willing to examine that which is causing our distress. It's our own mind. And ultimately we find that it's, it, it resolves itself into one idea. I'm not good enough in this moment, so I need things to be different. And liberation is the realization that I am all I am, what Popeye said, I'm all I can ever be, and I'm present for my life as my life occurs. That's liberation. That brings meaning to each and every moment of our life, no matter what is occurring. Why? Because I'm present for it. Why do the, 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 the most extreme moments seem to, seem to form our memory? Because that's what we get distracted towards, and that's what we like. Um, it, it, I don't want to get too deep into current events. And I won't. That's it. I just, I just exampled why you straight there for you. Let me continue. In this way, anyone who cultivates and methodically practices a noble eightfold path, this is a, a promise from an awakened human being from 2,600 years ago that's still relevant today. In this way, anyone who cultivates the eightfold path and methodically practices the, the noble eightfold path will, with direct knowledge and profound wisdom, comprehend phenomena to be comprehended, abandon phenomena to be abandoned, experience phenomena to be experienced, and develop phenomena to be developed. I'm going to read that one more time. If we're ever confused about what we're doing in Dhamma practice, and authentic Dhamma practice, what a Buddha actually taught, we practice the Eightfold Path, because in this way, anyone who cultivates and methodically practices the Noble Eightfold Path will, with direct knowledge and profound wisdom, comprehend the phenomena that is to be comprehended. They will abandon the phenomena to be abandoned, and they will experience the phenomena that is to be experienced a calm and peaceful mind and release from ignorance of Four Noble Truths and develop all the phenomena that is to be developed. That's the end of the Agantuka Sutra. So, there can be no confusion anymore about the Eightfold Path or what we're practicing. But if there is, it's okay. That's just what ongoing practice is about. There's a, a, a lot of people here in class today. Um, does anybody have to leave, say, at, at any time, 10 o'clock or... 9.45, so... I'll leave you at about 10. So. All right, let's go to... And, and Scott, I assume? 9.40, yeah. Scott, what, what do you have to say for yourself today? <laughs> good morning, <laughs> Good morning, John. Um, there is a word that is in the sutta that really engaged me this week that described mindfulness as that moment of being mindful of the body, of the arising feelings, of arising thoughts, and it said in that moment you are ardent. And that's the first time I saw that word, maybe you guys have been discussing it for, for a long time, but that resonated with me because that occasional breath or two breaths that aren't devoted to um, the reverberations of the past or fancies about the future, that breath of being right there, it feels ardent. Yes, yes, it feels yes, enthusiastic and engaged. <laughs> so yes. that, that is the word for me that really captivated yeah. me from this lesson. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's resolute. It's, de, it's determined in a gentle way in this moment to do what I'm doing, to be committed to it. Thank you for bringing that up. 
And that, and what you're also referencing is the Buddhist teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness. We're mindful of the arising and passing away of the breath. We're mindful of the arising and passing away of feelings. We're mindful of the arising and passing away of, of thoughts. And we're mindful, we're ardent, alert, and mindful of the present quality of our mind, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And so how does that resolve, going off a little bit on a tangent, to right view? Well, that profound fourth foundation of mindfulness, being at peace with the present quality of our mind, that lasts, is calm. It's peace. It's rooted in understanding. There's nothing that can shake this. It's an unwavering calm rooted in understanding, not external conditions. Not that I be, I be a certain way or the world be a certain way or my, my spouse or my dog be a certain way. It doesn't matter. Why? Because I'm ardent. I'm resolute in this moment to maintain a calm and peaceful mind. Great insights, Scott. Did, did you have any other great insights to give us? <laughs> I only get one a week. <laughs> that was a pretty good one. Thank you. Dhamma teacher Ram. John? Um, yeah, the, um, the metaphor of, of the guest um, house, yeah. a, a place where you reside, uh, is, is really telling. Um, yeah. it, because practicing the, the Eightfold Path is, is like that. It's, it, it's a resonance. Yeah. Uh, and in, in this slightly different metaphor, it's a refuge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this, yeah, this lays it out very, very clearly, you know, why you should be residing in the Dharma. And it, it, uh, you know, there, there's, no, there's no questions left in here. It's just, yeah. this, this is what it is, this is what you, what you comprehend, abandon, experience and develop yeah this this is it if you reside in the dharma if you reside in the dharma and and it's a and and once you reside in the dharma it's it's a it's a comfortable residence Uh, it's it brings comfort and and security um yeah it's a beautiful metaphor thank you Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a it's both a metaphor and the practical experience of the Dhamma. Mm-hmm. You know, while you were talking, I was thinking about um, it, it, the the reality of that establishment of calm. Um, how do I explain this? Like everybody, like every everybody that's had a human life, I've had things that have occurred in my life that I wish were different. Um, looking back on them now, I realize they can't be different. But they, when I would reflect on them, you know, before I came to the Dhamma, they would be almost as distressing now as they were when I experienced them. But now when I look back on these troublesome times, if you will, they're just what occurred in my life. And to me, that, that has given me an appreciation for my entire life, but not in a self-aggrandizing way. I just really feel fortunate for having the entire life I've had, including those things that I used to wish never happened. Why? It's not because I love them, and it's not because I'm, I'm glad that they happened, but I'm not disappointed that they did. They're a consequence of having a human life. And because this moment is so meaningful, the rest of that is meaningful as well. Because it's part of it, isn't it? I hope I'm making myself uh, clear. It might make sense this way, because you've heard me say, oftentimes when I always get blank stares when I say this, that 
uh, when we develop the Dhamma and we're living in the present moment, we are literally standing at the feet of eternity. And how else could that be? How else could you experience eternity expect, except to be present in this moment? And when you're standing on the edge of eternity, everything is possible. And since everything is possible, what is most important in this moment is a calm and peaceful mind. I don't have to grasp after any other possibility. I don't have to manufacture or fabricate anything. A calm and peaceful mind is the reward for having a human life. And it's really the only word, or, or reward we, can, we have a right to expect because it's the only thing we can develop on our own despite what, whatever occurs out in the world. So again, sorry for two classes today. I'm going to go online. Uh, despite my long speeches, I'm going to ask you to all be very concise because there's a lot of issues <laughs> today. And I'll try to keep the rest of my comments to a minimum. Mary, good morning. I'll take no silence, John. Thank you for the teaching. Thanks, Mary. Uh, I got to put my goggles on because I can't see. Well, I, I know Brian. Brian, how are you? Good, John. How are you? Good. Thanks for asking. Um, the, I guess what Sorry. resonated for me with this was the the consciousness aggregate, and 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 not overthinking that. And consciousness in its simplest form is just awareness of an object. Yes. Right. And 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 tying that into the eightfold path being limiting. We don't need to apply anything else to that that awareness. It just is what it is, right? Okay. And that's that keeps us in the in the self restraint, wise restraint, limiting factor of the old fat. So thank you. Yes, that's it. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Dominic. How are you, Dominic? Dominic is joining us from Slovenia. Hello all. How are you, my friend? Uh, good, good, thank you. Good. Well, I don't really have any deep insights, but I did realize something. You know, although my English is okay. Better than mine. It's still, <laughs> it's still difficult to uh, appreciate when you hear someone talking in not your native language. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Because my mind has to translate mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. it feels like I'm missing. I, I, I can't think, you know. I yeah. can't just enjoy the moment. I have to work all the time. And I'm finding that reading for me is a lot easier than listening. So, I'll, so I'll, I'm sorry, go just ahead. my thought. Yeah, no, I, I, I can certainly understand what you're saying. I would, I, I hope you're gaining some benefit other than just grasping after what I'm saying, just by being a part of our Sangha. Um, and I wondered if there's a way that we can reconcile this. I know that, um, I don't know if we're going to be able to put together some kind of instant translator so you can hear me in the moment, but let's, let's look into that and see if we can figure out a way to, to, um, so I would be looking to translate late this into, into what language? Oh, that the, the auto translators don't work good. So no. <laughs> I feel now because I feel even from the Pali language in which the suttas are written, when you translate them to English, I think a lot of the meaning is also lost. So then I have to translate from English to my language and some more is lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let, let's talk about this because so, there's, there's an intention behind some of what's lost. In other words, when I, when I restore the suttas, um, and I don't. I won't get too deep into this, but I I strip out 
everything that can't be resolved in dependent origination and four noble truths, which is everything that is is not humanly capable to have direct knowledge and profound wisdom of, which is all the magical and mystical stuff that's been attached. And that might be part of your issue that seems like there's there's too much missing here. But let's uh, let's try to get together in the next few days and we can talk about it. John, there's, there's one okay. thing that you can do. What? Is listen to Lorna. Slow down. Oh, yeah. It, it's really important when you're, when you're approaching uh, somebody from a different language. Yeah, you're right. That, uh, you, uh, that you realize that this is a, that this is a struggle to, yeah. uh, to comprehend. We've got to get Lorna back. Lorna would always, was a person, she would always tell me to slow down. I go too fast because I, <laughs> I try to teach too much in each class. I know I, I do. Um, so perhaps it'll help Dominic if I, if I do slow down at the next class and it's okay for any of you to tell me to slow down, by the way, you know, it's just by, I, I, I learned, I actually taught myself to read and I started reading quickly. Uh, and, uh, and so I ended up speaking that way too, but tell me to slow down, please. I'm glad you joined me, Dominic. Okay, thanks. How are you, Jeff? Thank you. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. No, <laughs> No pressure, right? Uh, I I can relate, Dominic. I, I, even though I speak English, this is a whole new vocabulary and nomenclature sure. that you right. still have to translate into into some kind of meaning for yourself. So um, I'm the same way. I can read some foreign languages, but I can't understand them when they're spoken. Um, so. Uh, I can appreciate the, the seclusion that I can enjoy here in uh, rural North Dakota, but uh, I, I know it's come up a few times before, John, that seclusion in some circumstances seems impossible. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe you can give us a little insight on the seclusion of a calm and peaceful mind as opposed to necessarily being able to access physical seclusion. Yeah, wow. That's a great question, Jeff. I, again, Lorna was in, would be mentioned again. She was just great on understanding this. Um, the, the seclusion that we establish in jhana meditation. Uh, so, so the Buddha would say the only real instruction beside the four foundations of mindfulness that Siddhartha ever gave us was to go find the root of a tree or an empty hut, meaning get away from the world for a little while. Find a quiet place, find, establish physical seclusion, and then begin to establish mental or internal... Uh, did I say confusion? No, you said, you, you said it right. Okay. We're confused about that. I'm confused. I'm confused about it. And then establish the inner seclusion by, through jhana meditation, through concentration. And as our minds become ever more deeply concentrated, we are then able to take it off our cushion, that seclusion established on our cushion, and bringing out, bringing it out into the into the our, into the world. Um, so, the concentration and seclusion are, in some ways, one and the same. Or you could say the concentration supports the ability to stay secluded, not getting entangled with the world while I'm off my cushion. And that could be, you know, just off my cushion when we when the the, the phone rings or anything else that occurs. But again, it's, it's a great question. It's established in jhana meditation, but through the, the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, we're, we're, we are empowered 
to maintain that seclusion through this framework, through this limiting action of the Eightfold Path. So, and that, it's such an important understanding. How do we do it? Just this way. Thank you, Jeff. And the first jhana is nothing but seclusion. Yeah. Establishing seclusion. That's the whole thing. Yeah. We, we talked about that, the four levels of jhana meditation Ram just brought up. The first jhana is the establishment of seclusion and the recognition or taking rapture, uh, joyful engagement, recognizing the value, the pleasant abiding in seclusion. That's the first foundation of mindfulness. And it only deepens from that. You know, and I, I would bet, I'll ask again the, the, the group, have you been able to uh, recognize the seclusion you've taken off your cushion and into your life? Laura, put you on the spot there. Yes. Because I know you have, that's why I asked the question, because I, I know you'll give me the answer I want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not this, uh, in like my previous you know, experiences with meditation or Buddhism, it's not this like, oh, I'm in a state of like, everything around me is completely peaceful, it's... You know, you're just... You're not imagining like, it. Yeah. Right, you're not imagining this, like, universal, kind of interconnected, peaceful thing. There's still all the stressors are there, but that's so helpful what you and Jeff just talked about, the seclusion and the concentration and the ardent determination. It's all one, you know, encapsulated in that present moment. It's not just this trance-like state yeah. that I'm in. So, thank you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're living the reality of your life, and it's peaceful. Right. Yeah, who'd, have, who'd have thought? Right. Matteo. Good to see you, Matteo. You're in Scotland? Yes. Yeah, yes. I, always, uh, I always put you in Italy, but I know you're in, you're in Scotland. Uh, uh, so, in Dobrerano, Dominic. Dobrerano. And, yeah, I'm relating, of course, with Dominic say, like, you know, it's a bit more difficult when you do But, you know, you just come and probably you start to tune with the John accent, you will understand better and better. Or maybe just they do like me, just come here and note it, but no idea what they say. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's working for you though, isn't it, Matteo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think on that note, I think, John, probably it's time to go viral. We should translate a bit your website in some main languages. And, and you know, it's, it's important because as a... As Dominic said, I think I find you because I was struggling to find somebody first in my language, another any European language, to so find somebody that explained the dumb how it is, no? Even in UK, and you know, maybe other people, it can be very, very, very good if you can translate maybe some core, some core sutra, some introductory website, maybe I don't know, in French, in Russia, in Chinese, that can be very beneficial for other people, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I didn't do, there, there's some, uh, plugins I can put on the website that will translate it to almost any language, and I I and I know of them. I just never did it, but now I will. So I mean, like it, it is not precise when I do a translation, but because it's my job, if you need any help to do that, I'm very happy to help you. I'll, I'll take the help. Let's uh, let's get okay. together. Maybe uh, maybe we can get we can talk on Sunday or Monday. Let me know. It'll be a good time, and well, let's cool. do it. You know, I'm all for it. Cool, you know? cool. So yeah, what did, okay. did you say? We'll go viral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to go viral. Join viral. We want that. Doesn't that, doesn't that mean I got to start tweeting if I'm going to go? I don't tweet. I hardly speak. Well, I'm going to start tweeting. Thank you, Mateo. Um, God is Lauren. Hello, Lauren. Good morning, John. Morning, everybody. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for asking. You say, where am I? I'm in New Jersey. 
Yeah, Warrington, New Jersey. Yes. Um, something that resonated with me was, um, John, when you said, I am what I am, I am all that I'll ever be, and I am present for my life. And when you put it that way, I had this um, sort of profound moment of feeling that life is such a gift. It is, yeah. And, um, through comprehension of the Four Noble Truths and practice of the Eightfold Path and jhana practice, those are three additional gifts that help you appreciate your life in the moment where you are, you know, getting rid of all those aggregates and everything extra that's not fretting over. Um, I'll just leave it there. I just, thank you. I just had this really uh, wonderful moment of feeling what a gift it is to experience anything in a life of impermanence. It, it, Lauren, you, you, you gave that gift to all of us, I think, just now. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it is. It's just, it's just that simple, that direct knowledge, and it's just that profound. You know, it's, just, it's really just being alive in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Nina and Dustin. Hello, Nina. There you are. How are you guys? Hang on. Here we are. There you are. Sorry. Hi. You've seen me with my goggles uh, I'm going to take noble silence today. Do you have anything to say? Um, to add? <laughs> no, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to take noble silence. Yeah, I'm glad it's you... been really good. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you joined today. And I, I don't know if I, I should say it now. The, uh, the um, vaccine mandate has been lifted up at Juan Dharma Center. So we're good to go for the retreat. Everybody should know that. Hello, Dhamma teacher Jen. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jen. Hi, Hi Jen. Um, John, this sutta is awesome. <laughs> Love it. It's so good. I agree. It's so good. So <laughs> I, I've had a few conversations. Well, I've had conversations with a few Sangha members over the last like month and a theme that's been coming up for me has been um, sort of the idea that when you are practicing the Dhamma, you, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wrong view that you have to abandon everything. Yep. It's like all you have to, all you do is abandon. You just abandon, 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 you know? And I feel like initially when you're entering the stream, maybe that it, maybe that it feels like that because in order to calm your mind, you sort of have to release a lot of eye making, but this, this why I love the suttas is it points to how there's phenomena that you must abandon, but then there's also phenomena that you must comprehend. There's phenomena you must experience and there's phenomena that you must develop. And when you are in the stream, when you are practicing the Dhamma, you there's certain, there's different things that you need to do with different kinds of phenomena. Obviously framed by the Eightfold Path, and I realize that that, that direction also helps you frame it, 
if you're new to the practice, but once you're in the practice to, again, let go of the idea that you have to abandon everything. You still have to experience your life. You still have to comprehend your eye-making and your your wrong views and your and why those wrong views occur and and so i don't know somehow that was my that's all i got <laughs> that's a lot jen thank you so much that's down teacher jen uh chris welcome to our sangha we what would you like to say and you don't have to say, nobody has to say anything here if you don't feel like it. But. Uh, I really honestly have nothing to say, negative or adverse. Um, clearing your mind and realizing the level of succinct attachment that your ego grasps to you find that in every moment that you're not practicing the Dharma properly your ego is screaming at you that's that's a good word to use and the only tool to eliminate that screaming is realizing it doesn't exist Thank you. Uh, just so you know, I, I don't see very well. These help me see uh, faces at a distance. That's why I'm putting them on. I kind of giggled when I saw you. Yeah. Oh, well, like... most people think I'm watching TV back here. <laughs> I thought you were going to pull out the little, um, little handphones and then start playing games. <laughs> yeah, right. I, get, well, I, I do get bored with class after a while. <laughs> <laughs> I need a I'm a teacher, Boba Fett. I need a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kevin, how are you? appreciate all the comments everybody's made. This is really a complete teaching and it's just a different way into it than um, many of the other teachings, but it's it's the same teaching. It's the Dhamma, it's mm-hmm. an old truth and the way. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Are you, are you still here or are you there? Back and forth. Uh-huh. Well, so, you'll settle setting. <laughs> I'm glad you made it. Thank you. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, friends. Um, real quick, you, you might have mentioned this during the uh, training teaching, but I think I, I might have uh, gotten distracted, I'm afraid. Um, remind me of what the three marks of existence are. The three marks of existence are the impermanence of all things, anicca, the misunderstanding of self or the not-self characteristic, anatta, and the resulting stress and suffering from the misunderstanding of those first two, or dukkha. So anicca, anatta, dukkha, impermanence, the not-self characteristic, and ongoing stress and suffering, or discontent. Thank you, that makes that passage make more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you, gotta, you gotta have that. Though. Yeah, it's a, a, is that, that what you... Yeah. I'm glad you're here this morning, Adam. Thanks, John. Good morning, uh, Becky. Just, uh, I, I'm sorry. Okay. Throw, throw, throw. Yes, that was To clarify, is that the three marks of a specific way of existing? Um, hmm. Yes, when it's root, when that existence is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, it's right. it's a common experience for all of us, right. you know. And then again, it's because we don't understand impermanence. And just again, just to briefly explain that, 
look at the, 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 the magical thinking that has resulted from a misunderstanding of impermanence, such as we have future lives or past lives. Maybe we do, but there's no human being that's ever been able to have that direct experience and come back and talk about it. So it, it's not something we, we chase after because it's not something we can experience. So we just fabricate these things. Because of if we understood impermanence, we would understand that this moment is the most important moment, not the next moment or a previous moment. An insightful question, too, definitely. Becky. Good morning. Thank you for the teaching, John. Um, I think I'm just going to take noble silence today. Oh, oh struck I'm sorry. your silence. I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> you did. You make legions of fans. Come on, Becky. <laughs> sure. Thank you, Becky. I'm sure. Thank you. Devil, and welcome to our song. And again, you don't have to say anything, but I hope you do. Oh, so disappointed because I was going to look at her notes first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really have much uh, to add, but I, I, I can empathize with uh, Dominic that I, I feel like the process of understanding uh, these teachings is sort of um, translating uh, the, the teachings to, you know, how you understand things yeah. yourself. There's like, this translation process. Yeah. yeah so he might be maybe <laughs> experiencing that and assuming that it's just the actual language thing, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it is. There, there's, uh, some of it is uh, just understanding not a new language, but the, the new verbiage that we do use here. Uh, and that that really is developed just over time, just by continuing to come to Dhamma classes and then it starts making sense. So. Now I will say something. <laughs> no, just to, just, just to um, <clears throat> highlight that, because when I first started, I, I, I had no idea. I, I was like, what does this mean? <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> what the heck? You know. So it is that, and it just takes time and exposure over and over again before it begins to make sense. Yeah. You just begin to see it and and know it. Yeah. Just by being around it. Yeah, and we, reading it. We recently had over and over again. Uh, we recently had a conversation where um, I was trying to explain a, an experience I had recently and, and the way that I put it was um, I felt free of concern, but that's not exactly accurate. And and uh, you would say it was how would how would you put it? I don't remember that conversation. I'm sorry. I think it, it, it relates to uh, what is meant by seclusion. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, being, uh, seclu- being secluded from the eye making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And so that, that's the translation. That was like, oh, that's how I was figuring. Mm-hmm. And that's how I understood. It. Yeah, that's what it is that you're pointing at. And, and some of it comes right up against when I'm saying something like the cessation of eye making and that particular mind is clinging to eye making it, 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 it's almost a barrier that's too, too hard to cross and that's where the confusion starts right there at your own resistance to this right. but again it's just repetition you know, they, they, and the, I think it's the Dhammapada 16 where the Buddha says without repetition there's no Dhamma he, you know, he was saying that 2600 years ago you have to keep coming keep listening to the same things, you understand how to apply it, and then boom, after two or three weeks of this, you awaken. <laughs> but, it's but it's different than rote memorization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the an experience active of the Dhamma 
and then as your practice deepens and your mindfulness is more refined, the things that you experienced your first day will be different than your hundredth day. Yeah. And that's the language of the Dhamma is better understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that maybe you, you, you could all, well, we can't all talk on this, but that from your first class to this class, this is not what you expected, is it? Mm-hmm. And it works. It's not what I expected when I first came across the Sutta Pitaka. You know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted, but I knew it wasn't what I was practicing up until that point. And this was completely, I should say, I, 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 my whole time in modern Buddhism, going to all these different places and studying with some of the more famous teachers, um, was, was ongoing confusion. And what led me to look into the Sutta Pitaka was just the thought that an awakened human being couldn't have taught something this varied and this ridiculous, this, this, almost, this almost impossible to understand. It, it seemed to me that a truth should be basically simple. It doesn't mean that I would necessarily understand it, but it should be simple and obvious. And that's what this is. It's simple and obvious. It's just because of that barrier of eye-making, it's hard for us to understand. Here it is. We can do it. And a lot of this understanding of, of specific concepts that we talk about here is not only getting an understanding of those specific concepts, but also the interrelationship between them. Yes. This network yes. of understanding that you develop over time. Yeah. Yeah, and that really that relates just to how we learn. You know, we start making connections in our our brains, you know, mm-hmm. through neural networks, and then this thing start makes making sense in our mind, where we can apply it to our body. But hence, and that's why we have classes, and we don't just, you know, a lot of my practice for years was just going to a place and meditating for hours and hours on end, and leaving there, mostly just feeling glad that it was over, and that was all I got out of it. It was just really just kind of a form of self torture after a while for me. <laughs> it was. And then, you know. Thank you, Ram. I'll talk to you Bye. soon. Devlin, do you have anything else you'd like to add this morning? Thank you. Thank you, June. Welcome to our sangha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome to us. Um, a pleasure. This is a. I, I, I have a little bit of understanding of what you mean, but most of it's just over my head right now. Um, but I did appreciate when you said um, we are what we are in this current moment as a person who's taught himself to never to think that he's never good enough, always grasping, always chasing, yeah, always yeah. grasping. So I'm sitting there trying to trying to take that in right now. Please. And it's so difficult. <laughs> and it, it is. It's so and, difficult. And, and June, what you're what you're describing. You'll hear. If you, I hope you keep coming to class because you hear me say this often. The common human problem for all of us is self-loathing. We simply think we're not good enough, and because I'm not good enough in this moment, I need the moment to be different. I need more of this or less of this, and that leads to a whole lifetime of distraction, rather than profound understanding that what Popeye said was right. I am what I am, and that and it's and it's just, and it's not like it's good enough or it's not good enough. It just is. But I, that um, the I am what I am. That that really resonated with me. But then I asked, what am I? <laughs> like that's. That, that's, that's what the Dom was for. That's what you're gonna learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the idea of what we're trying to do here is figure out who, who we are by uh, sort of taking away what we're not or what we think we are that's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Abandoning what, what abandoning the phenomena that doesn't relate to reality. To, to, right. but, so this this sutta, what what Siddhartha discovered twenty six hundred years ago, is how how to become a human being and how to not be being 
anything other than a human being. In the suttas, the Buddha would often use, because we misunderstand self, we become anything other than self. That's not a magical or mystical thing. It's not that we become, I don't know, star stuff or something like Carl Sagan used to say. In this moment, I become anything other than self. And there is the discontent because I'm not living who I am, whatever it is. You know, in my case, when I was 15 years old, it was not enough because I wanted to play. Seriously, this is true. I wanted to play for the Yankees. I wanted to be center fielder for the Yankees. And to do that, you needed to be 6'4 and a hell of a lot faster than I was. And I was, you know, I'm a lot shorter than I used to be, about two inches. But I used to be all the way up to 5'8" but not big enough to play for the Yankees. And so I was disappointed. And even as ridiculous as it might sound, I think everybody does this to a certain extent. And so even though I was a pretty good ball player, I actually had a Mets scout follow me one, one summer when the Mets would, t- Mets would take anybody. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but I was never good enough. And so here I was having this really great life. I mean, there really was. Not, you know, it was... It was a better life than some kids had. I was playing in summer leagues with nice ballparks and all that stuff. My dad had the wherewithal to drive me around and buy me a nice baseball glove. And I was miserable. I couldn't see how fortunate I was or just enjoy the fact of playing a ball game as a kid. I had it to be an adult. You know, 15 wasn't good enough. I had to be 27 years old playing for the Yankees instead of on that ball field playing ball like a 15-year-old kid should be. And, and we all do that. And that led to a life of discontent until I came across the Buddhist Dhamma. So, June, you're exactly who you should be. You're all you ever will be. All you have to do is understand it. And if you keep coming here, you will. You won't have any choice. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. I'm good, John. Thank you. I'm glad you're here this morning. Me too. Good morning, David. Good morning, John. Think back to what Scott said and Brian said and Ram said. And they described that calm. There was no grasping for that calm. Yeah. And June's concerns of, of what I am, that's the concern that goes away because you're not fixing this broken self yeah. with this practice. You're not reconciling what you did in your past. And you're not grasping for that future. So think of that clarity that you gained just to be in this moment and be successful and be ambitious but you're yeah. not grasping for it and then therefore always being disappointed so yeah. that's that tricky thing of you're trying to figure out what you are but you are just simply the sixth property being yeah. and that doesn't mean that you're you disappear and you're not you know striving to be a better person and to be helpful but the clarity that you then have puts you in such a better position to do that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You just you you just live your life better, and whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. even if you're playing center field for the Yankees, you're better off doing it with a calm and peaceful mind, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mine as well. David mentioned the six property person uh, twice today, and that the, the Buddha teaches that all that we can ever be is this six property person. The five elements were all made up of earth, wind, fire, water. What's the other one? can't think of it? Air. Air, yeah. You got it. And consciousness, the sixth property person. And if you look at all of us, the only defining characteristic you can apply to a human being is those six properties. Everything else is just what occurs in life, but it has nothing, it doesn't, it doesn't affect this unless I let it affect this. 
So I'm a six property person having the life that I'm having. Right now, it happens to be right here at 207 Harrison Street. And this is the most meaningful moment of my life. Why? It's not because of you wonderful folks. It helps. But it's because I'm living it. Because I'm here for it. And we can do that anyway. We can take that type of seclusion, that refuge that Ron was mentioning, from here this morning, off our cushions, even in our virtual sangha, and go out into the world. That's the point of the Dhamma. June had you had a great insight into what this is all about. It takes a little bit of more practice to develop it fully, but your experience there was this is that you you had an experience of reality. And we all do when we practice this Dhamma. It's not something that occurs, you know, when we're good enough. It occurs every time we sit down on our cushions and integrate the Eightfold Path. Remarkable. Any other questions or comments before we go? Um, we are going to go out to uh, have some breakfast, and anybody can join us if you'd like. Um, even those, you know, if you want to fly in from Slovenia, please do so. <laughs> now, Dominic, let's let's talk uh, again. Let me know tomorrow when is a good time to talk, and you know, I, I, and Matteo is going to help us out. We, we'll become uh, multilingual, and I'm going to apply my uh, my great capabilities, and I'll I'll be able to speak uh, Slavic by next week. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think I speak English quick. <laughs> Thank you all. We'll finish with, with, uh, with Meta as we always do. Oh, yeah, and the, uh, the retreat, I think I mentioned it. I'm going to mention it again. Uh, we're free of vaccines up at the Juan Dharma Center. So if that was holding you back, uh, please sign up. Our retreat is June 29th to July 3rd. Um, I have reserved the other room, too. We, are, we already filled up one building. So, uh, But if you know you're going to go and you decide you're going, uh, please sign up. Just, it helps my logistics a lot. All right, we're going to finish with... Uh, I'm going to wait for June to come out. We'll finish with Meta, as we always do. Well, I just had a question, and I thought I'd wait until after class. It would have been perfect if I could just remember it right now. Yeah, this will do the time. <laughs> I remember the moment he steps out. <laughs> Another experience of impermanence. really is remarkable what's developed here through the Sangha. I started in the building right next to us because uh, the acupuncturist in there asked if I would start teaching. She knew I was a meditator. She said, why don't, would you teach meditation uh, to raise money for a specific charity she was involved with, a global alternative healthcare project, alternative healthcare mm-hmm. practitioners um, like uh, Doctors Without Borders, but mm-hmm. for alternative. And so I did, and that's how this whole thing started. And here we are, I think it's 11, 12 years later, uh, it's really remarkable what's developed, and that's not just for me. In fact, I'm really a little, just a small part of this. It has to do with the Buddha's Dhamma, uh, but really all of your commitment. You know, that this, this, I, I'd be insane to be sitting here Tuesday and Saturday, day year after year, talking to no one. So mm-hmm. there's no Dhamma there. You you are the Dhamma, I guess is what I'm saying. So um, these are this is, is something called the Karaniya Metasutta. It's the Buddha's words on loving kindness, and some people it, initially it almost sounds like uh, almost like a prayer or grasping after something. But really, what this is 
Um, the Buddha taught this sutta at a time when the, the local saga was uh, quite agitated by what was going on around them, and I won't get into the whole sutta. And this is his response, telling this agitated group of Dhamma practitioners what their Dhamma practice should be bringing them. This is an example of a well-focused and well-informed Dhamma practice, the results of it, much like the Agantuka Sutta. For all who reside in the Dhamma, this is what it's like. The Buddha's word. You could take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and just get into that uh, mind and body united. And the Buddha's words on metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her own. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.